Turn it there in your Bibles, in your notes of 1 Peter chapter 1. Lord willing, this morning we'll look at verses 6 through 9 and continue to build on what we've already looked at in this epistle. It's important that we do that when we go through God's Word. We don't leave the last passage behind and then isolate the next one, but you know what? We look at the word line upon line. Uh, again, verse on verse, book on book, and so forth. Context is just so huge in studying the Bible and in preaching the Word and, and receiving it and really getting what God has for us as it's been you know, written, that we rightly divide it. And we've got to remember here that Peter's writing to a group of believers that have been under great persecution, that they've been dispersed from their homes, dispersed out of Rome, from that persecution from Caesar Nero. And we've talked a lot about that persecution. It was a brutal, brutal persecution of people losing their lives, again, losing their livelihood, being driven out of their homeland, and really settling in a lot of those churches that Paul had uh, planted there in Asia Minor. And last week we saw in the midst of all of that, uh, Peter pointing them to the living hope that we have on our resurrected Lord. Uh, the living hope of his person personally being with us uh, through his mercy and through his grace. Uh, the living hope of him working in our lives today. It's, it's not a, just a living hope of heaven. That's part of it. But he's working in our lives right now. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we have all those promises that he works all things for good. For those that love him are called according to his purposes. And then with that, again, a hope incorruptible, an inheritance undefiled that won't fade away. And praise God, it's reserved for us in heaven. What a glorious, glorious hope that's kept by the power of God through faith in him. And again, the hope of our salvation that's ready to be revealed at any time. And so Peter encourages them this morning and encourages us to greatly rejoice in all of that hope to rejoice in each moment in the midst of the trials that they were going through which were huge as well as in the midst of the various trials that they and we will go through those trials you'll see this morning he says if needed and let me tell you they're needed in our lives <laughs> they're needed i think the if needed is sometimes we have to do a repeat trial because we didn't learn the first time we'll see this morning that we can rejoice as well because we're assured that these trials are just for a little while. Our time here is short. As well as trials, they come and they go. Kind of like storms, they come in and they go. Well, we remind to listen, the Bible's honest. These trials, they're grieving. They're difficult. They test our faith, though, to really reveal where we are with the Lord and where we are in our walk. And hopefully, they're trials that are going to bring forth great reward at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's just a little, you know, kind of scratching on what we're going to look at. So much here. Let's read the text together in verse 6 through 9 and go through here. And I just pray that, that we glean a lot from this. This is just incredibly valuable and important. These are life verses for us. These are truths that, again, we need to hang our hat on and be able to point others to. And uh, you know what? Just to... to to, to abound in the Lord and to have a biblical perspective in the difficult times, which again, we're going to have, and I know many are having even right now. And you look at our life and our world around us, it's kind of like the whole world just under a, a trial. You know, there's a pressing. The Lord indeed is coming soon. So verse six, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So again, in this you greatly rejoice. And again, the question should be, in what? And again, we've already touched on this. We'll touch on it more, though, in the truths that Peter has already written here. Not in the wishful thinking that Peter is presenting to them, but again, the truths. These are facts. This is God's truth. 
This is, you know, the difference between wishful thinking that you have $10 million and having $10 million in the bank. And listen, we'll associate that into this message this morning because he talks about gold, precious gold that perishes and gold can be used for great good or great damage. Uh, We have something greater than that. But again, big difference between the two of them. There's a great difference between absolute truth and the promises of God and something that's very popular today called, well, I got my truth. And so much of what people call my truth is not truth at all. It's wishful thinking and oftentimes based on pleasure seeking, based on fleshy aspirations, as well as, again, just tickling ears to kind of appease people in the midst of difficulty, kind of that don't worry, be happy versus, hey, God is on the throne. Jesus is your Savior. His promises are yes and amen. You have an assurance in heaven that cannot be taken from you, and God will see you through. There's a big difference between the two of them. God's word, again, was penned as the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men. God's word can be taken to the bank. He's saying rejoice in these truths because these are truths that are true indeed. 2 Peter 1.19, he says, So we have the prophetic word confirmed, notice, which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. This is the truth, and we'll do well to heed it. We'll do well to heed it in the midst of trials, in the midst of a dark place. And this is a fallen world. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, notice, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And one thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit does not lie. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth. The promises of God are yes and amen. So again, in the midst of the great trials, in the great midst of this dispersion of the church, martyrdom and so forth, he says you can greatly rejoice in these truths that have been laid out and are being laid out. It's not wishful thinking. This is an inheritance that you can have that you can rejoice in. And listen, these truths here... They are absolutely here to set us free. Again, Jesus Christ, when we put faith in him, sets us free from sin, death, Satan, and hell. We have forgiveness of sin. We have the law of liberty. And now it's a matter of learning to walk in that law of liberty, to walk in the call of God on us. But listen, these truths are also here to set us free from hopelessness as well as sorrow that overwhelms our soul now there is a place of sorrow and grieving in the life of the christian but it never should be a sorrow and a grieving that washes away our joy we're called to rejoice in all things and the truth of god's word is that which renews our minds and absolutely enables us to rejoice in all things because absolutely We know the inheritance that we have and the truth of Christ that liberates us because even again in the trials, we know it's a short time. We know it will come and go. We know God is using it for good. That biblical perspective. As the Lord said in John 8, 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we want to be a people abiding in the word of God, the truth of God's word versus abiding in my truth. And boy, there's again a lot of that today. You know, we entered into what they call postmodern thinking, you know, at a while back as a culture that says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, which again is an oxymoron because for that to be true, there has to be absolute truth that you have your truth and my truth and they can both be true. So You're putting forth an absolute truth that contradicts your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Hopefully you follow that. (laughs) And now that's crept into the church. there's There's a phrase, and I've talked about it before, called deconstructing your faith. And basically what that comes down to is people saying, I don't like these certain things in the Bible, so I'm pushing them out of my life, and I want to walk in my truth. Well, listen, 
We need to abide in the truth of God's word because my heart is desperately wicked and left to my own doings. I'm going to come up with my truth that's not truth at all. It just is something that it goes along with my rebellious nature versus the truth of scriptures. And listen, the truth of scripture, again, not only is addressing the issues of morality and salvation and so forth that we are called to heed and abound in, but also enjoy and liberty and again to be able to glorify god even in the midst of trials and difficulties standing in the truth of god's plan that god's on the uh, in control and this is not vain so again in this you greatly rejoice and we already touched on it but i want to read it again he's talking to those dispersed verse three says blessed to be the god and father of our lord jesus christ he's saying rejoice in that who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again uh, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Rejoice in that. You're being persecuted, but rejoice. You have a living hope, and the guarantee of it is not through a dead man, but through Jesus Christ who rose from the grave, who's given you great mercy. He hasn't given us what we deserve. He says, to an inheritance incorruptible, an undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So he says, on earth, you're going through great difficulty. You've been dispersed. Loved ones have been martyred. You've been pushed out of, again, your homeland. But rejoice because you have an inheritance that is not corrupted. It's not defiled. It won't be taken from you. We talked about that last week. It's reserved for you in heaven, he says, who are kept by the power of God. Even ourselves were kept by the hand of the Lord through faith. Again, for what? For salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so in our last time personally here on earth, you know, in that last breath, salvation ready to be bestowed on us in the sense of entering into eternity with the Lord. But also it's a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ who can come at any time. And he can come at any time because he said, I can come at any time. So watch and be ready. And see, here's the thing in this. If we just want to focus in on the trials, if we just want to focus in on the giants, so to speak, and we've talked a lot about giants recently in Joshua. This Wednesday night, we're going to talk a lot more about literal giants and the children of Israel had to deal with them. And I kind of liken them to trials if our focus is just on them, it's going to bring a, a, a despair, a, a depression, a hopelessness. But if we focus in on the Lord and his truths as we're called to, as we think as he's called us to think, as we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, it brings great hope, it brings great joy, and it punishes those lies that want to raise themselves up against the truth of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 17, 22, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And let me tell you, Satan wants to break your spirit. And one of the ways he does that is to try with all his might to get our eyes off the Lord, to get us out of the Scripture, and to get us leaning on our own understanding to get us looking again at the trials, at the tidal waves, so to speak, and forgetting, wait a minute, God's above this, and God's already told me that, again, He's going to work these things for good in my life and for His glory. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, through 6, such a valuable passage for us when it comes to these things. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You're in a spiritual war this morning. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And notice here, I love this, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So again, what's going on? They're being greatly persecuted by Rome, by Nero, again, They've been blamed for something they didn't do for burning down Rome. Christians are being crucified. Some are being lit by fire. Some are being given to wild animals while people watch and cheer. 
they're being pushed out of their homeland. And then on top of that, no doubt spiritually, Satan wants to come in and bring another attack of taking away their joy of saying things like, God's forsaken you. This can't be of God. There's no way God's using this for good. Where's your Lord in the midst of all of these things to try to bring a despair? Taking those things above, again, the truth of Scripture that tells us God directs our steps. God works all things for good. The Lord doesn't leave us. He does not forsake us and so forth. Nothing in the life of the believer is vain. And so again, he's saying all this is going on, but you need to rejoice in the truth of your God and watch a great joy that it brings to you even in the midst of this great persecution. In fact, he says in this, you greatly rejoice or you could say you can have great joy. Interesting, the word here for rejoice is Greek for jump for joy. He says jump for joy in the midst of this great persecution. And again, the, this, is, this is a trial that, that, that few in the West have ever experienced. You know, it's kind of like first world problems. A lot of times we have first world trials, so to speak. I mean, again, this is a, just a brutality uh, that, that, that does spring up from time to time and is taking place in some places in the world. But again, this is their whole life just being turned upside down. And Peter says, but you have a living hope, so jump for joy. I think about Peter and John when they were first persecuted there in the early chapters of Acts for preaching the gospel. They were told not to, and they said, we got to do what God's called us to do, not what men are telling us to do. And then that next time again, they said, we told you not to do it. And so now we're going to flog you. And, and you know, they, they give them a beating. And these guys leave. And instead of going, oh, I can't believe this happened to us. Or we're going to get them back. It says they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Boy, what a different mindset. So he says rejoice or jump for joy in the midst of all of this. And yet again, how many times do we just... And I'm not trying to discount any trial, any burden, because, again, these things are difficult. And it may not look like them, but there's things that we go through that are weighty, that, that, that weigh on us and so forth. But we are told, again, that we can rejoice because God is going to be faithful. We have a living hope. Our Lord is resurrected from the grave. So, again, keep that before you. I think this is really a picture, again, of a wellspring of joy that the lord wants to pour out through us again even in the midst of difficulty proverbs sixteen twenty two: understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it but the correction of fools is folly so in other words in the midst of the trials if i can understand if i can understand that yes we're going to have these things if I can understand the Lord when I got saved and say, well, no more trials for you. Time for your best life ever. We're going to move you to the front of the line. No. We're, we're told we're going to have tribulations and trials and persecutions. But if I can remember that God is appointing these things, God's working a good work. Look at, we'll talk about this in a second, all the different ways God works in these things. If I can remember that, if my understanding is biblical, I can have a wellspring of life, even in the midst of difficulty, even when it feels like all four walls are coming in on you, we can rejoice because we remember God's on the throne and God's not going to leave me and God's not going to forsake me and God's using this all for good and Jesus has resurrected from the grave and I have a living hope. And again, I'll tell you, that joy brings strength. Despair, though, brings a defeated soul. And Satan wants us to walk as defeated souls. Nehemiah 18, eight, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. So he says here, again, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So again, we see the call to rejoice. And he says, rejoice also knowing that these trials 
they're just for a little while. Again, you're going to have them. God's truthful. He never says, follow him. And in this life, again, no more problems. Jesus said in John 16, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, notice, he doesn't say, you might have, you know, some, tr- some trials. He says, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The Lord's overcome the world. And every once in a while you run to someone and they say, well, you know what, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work because I still had problems. It didn't work. It just didn't work for me. And those lies abound. There's a lot of people that do say, come to Jesus and all the problems will go away. And you can even put faith in your words and create whatever you want. That's called witchcraft, by the way. What they needed to hear was call on Christ and you'll be forgiven of your sins and you will no longer be damned to an eternity in hell. Boy, is that not good news. You'll have a restored relationship with God. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. Jesus said you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But God will be with you. God will work it for your good and for his glory and you will spend eternity with god almighty and listen your life will not be squandered away on vain living and aimless conduct again these trials they're for a little while our time here short trials come and they go there's some that again are lifelong but usually those trials that are lifelong again You begin to learn to adapt. You begin to learn to live in the midst of those. And absolutely, it would be the Lord's heart that that trial, you'd begin to see the blessing of that trial and how God's using it to work through you. So hopefully you come to the place where you say, it's not a trial anymore. And I know many people that, that, that are burdened with things that afflict them for their life, they come to that place where they say, I don't look at this as a trial. I look at it as an opportunity to serve God Almighty. An opportunity, a platform to bring glory to God Almighty. God's used this to shape me, to mold me, just like Paul with those thorns in the flesh. You know, and he pleaded to God three times. It was a trial. And then he came to the place that he recognized as he heard the voice of the Spirit, my strength is perfected in your weakness. Notice James 4.14, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time, and it vanishes away. We don't know where the finish line even lies for us, but we do know our life is like a vapor. Job 9.25 puts it like this, Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like like a swift ships, like eagles swooping on its prey. And so again, swifter than a runner. Maybe you think life, it's a, it's a hundred yard dash. Well, listen, even a marathon, you know, it could, can be walked in five or six hours. That's a short time. So whether a life is a, is a compared to a hundred yard dash or a marathon, it is a short time. And then Job 14, one, it says, men who are born of women are Few in days and full of trouble, and that's true. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He's like a shadow and does not continue. Again, our lives in themselves, they're very short compared to eternity. They come and they go. I, 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 know, I, I have no doubt that this spring, with all the rain, California Valley is going to be lit up with wildflowers, probably like it hasn't been in years. And if you get a chance to go out and see them, man, and just give praise to God, just glorious all the colors but summer will come and boy a spring in california valley and a summer boy we're talking night and day glorious to just dry everything out there in that desert area trials are like that our lives are like that our lives come and go and in the midst of it really trials as well come and go they're like waves where there's a calm and then maybe there's high tide. And then occasionally, maybe even once or twice in a lifetime, you'll get that tidal wave that comes in that God just even brings in to, to maybe even almost reset everything and prepare you for what's next, maybe the second half of your life or whatever it is. Even think about all the storms we had. We had nine storms in a row and all that. 
we haven't had any now in a little while and boy this past week it was sunny out and warm you know and you those were there and, and they're gone there's some cleanup and stuff from it but they come and they go and he says here that these are for a little while there's seasons for them They'll come and they go, I'm not going to read it, but Ecclesiastes 3 speaks of these things to everything. There's a season, a time, and a purpose for everything under heaven. And he talks about these different times of prospering and then building up and tearing down and casting away, then a season of gathering and so forth. But one thing we can know, he says, though now for a little while, if need be. And if we go through a trial, if we go through a persecution, we can know it's because it is needed and because God is allowing it. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Notice here, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Is that not good news? Again, he's going to uphold us. And these things get ordered by the Lord. Again, Romans 8, 28, I've referred to it, but let's read it. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Now listen, with that set, no doubt, look at, there are some trials that we 100% bring upon ourselves. They're still ordered by the Lord, but we bring them on ourselves because they're trials of correction. It's the result of a rebellion where God says, I love my son, I love my daughter, and because I love them and I've shown them great grace, I'm going to correct them right now. It's time to take them to the woodshed because if they continue down this path, it's not going to be a good place for them to be. So I'm going to step in and correct them. I think of, I was just studying it yesterday because the first place we're going in Israel is Joppa, and Joppa is where Israel, or where Jonah went to the port to get on a ship to go try to go 2,500 miles away from the Lord in Tarshish. And as he fled from the Lord, did God just say, well, you know, there he goes, that's my boy. No. The Lord brought a trial upon Jonah, unlike many that we read about in Scripture, where he brings a great storm upon that boat. He gets cast overboard, and he ends up in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. There's some people that believe because he he may have gone all the way to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, there where Spain has that outlet there into the ocean, that perhaps that fish swallowed him there and went all the way around down through Africa and came back. You know, someone that says, you know, whales can do that in three days and so forth. I don't know, but what I know this is dude humbled his heart in the belly of that fish and cried out to God. And God corrected him. And God used it for good. And also God used it for good in that he came out looking like a fish and smelling like a fish. And he went to a land where they worshiped a fish God called Dagon. And he said, repent. And God even worked his rebellion for good through all of it. Because they had to look at this guy and smell this guy. And they said, what in the world? And it added an extra oomph to the preaching of repentance. And they repented. Hebrews 12, 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Corrections come from the Lord. Those trials come. And in the midst of it, we've got to humble our heart and say, Okay, Lord, I submit God. I want to learn. I want to learn. Because I'll tell you something about trials of correction if we don't receive the correction, God's going to correct you again because he will wage the long war. As we talked about Wednesday night, he'll wage the long war in your life. Others, listen, they're appointed to shape us. At various trials, again, if needed, we need to be shaped. I think about King David. He didn't just walk in and become king. He had 10 years in the wilderness fleeing from Saul. He learned how to lead men in that time. He learned again, uh, you know what, how, how to manage emotions. And you know what, he got rebuked in that time. There was times when he drifted in that. And God, again, brought correction. He learned to have a heart for those in debt and despair and discontent and so forth. And so when that time came when he became the king of Judah, he had already been doing the work of a king. 
He had already been leading those people which had gone into the tens of thousands who had come out to him. And boy, that was a trying season, but God used it to shape him. Listen, some trials are specifically designed to move us just to trust in God more. There's times when God will put us in a place where I have nowhere to turn but to him. Really, that's the case everywhere, every time, but sometimes we just need to learn it. We've talked about him recently, King Hezekiah. When he was there, the king of Judah and Assyria came and they, they surrounded uh, Jerusalem. They besieged Jerusalem and they had nowhere else to turn. And you just see Hezekiah calling out to God and crying out to the Lord and tearing his garments. You talk about a trial. It looked like they were done. Assyria was mowing over all the nations around. And then I love it because God says, because you prayed, I heard you. I heard you. And I'll tell you, that trial moved him to trust in the Lord more, moved Judah to trust in the Lord more. Again, we got to call on him. Others are allowed to bless us and allowing us to see God's glory all the more. And I really think that's available in all trials. But you think of Job and sometimes people, I'm having a Job experience. Are you really? Have you read the book of Job? You know, if you, are you really, you know, is it, is it really a Job? But listen, you read through Job and at the end you just see Job just seeing the glory of God in magnificent ways that he could have never seen had he not gone through those trials. Listen, other trials God brings, they're needed because God uses it as a platform to be a witness to the loss. So many examples of this in Scripture, probably one of my favorite, and I talk about it a lot of times, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bend knee to Nebuchadnezzar. They would not bend knee to that statue. And they knew there'd be consequences involved. And they got thrown into that fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, who God was working on, boy, you talk about God working on someone, he throws them in there and says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in? Why do I see four and the fourth looks like the son of God? Boy, God used that trial to be a great witness to a non-believer in a non-believing nation. And we need to remember that. We are being watched. We live in a fishbowl. We're living epistles known and read by all men. And listen, this sounds morbid, but it's a saying that is out there in our culture. Everyone loves a good train wreck or just seeing you know, it all collide. And I say that because there's people, they love a good tribulation. Oh boy, what's going on? It's almost like a live soap, so to speak. And we are being watched. A lot of times people say, we'll see if their Christianity is real now. Let's see if Jesus can take them through this. And I've seen so many people come to the Lord through Christians in the midst of great tribulation, standing strong in Christ, rejoicing in the Lord, where people step back and said, how can you have this peace? How can you have this joy? I want what you have. And listen, as I already mentioned, there's some trials they come over and over. They're needed over and over because we re we're resisting every time that trial comes. We want to be a teachable people, amen? Listen, when a trial comes, it shouldn't just be, God, get me out of this trial, A-S-A-P. Though it's okay to pray, Lord, get me out of this trial. But we should also step back and recognize this trial has been appointed by God. God, what do you want to do? Lord, come burn out what needs to be burned out in my life. Even in the ones where it just seems like it's not fair, they're all coming against me. Look at none of us can stand and say, boy, I am the model of perfection. I guarantee you God's wanting to burn things out of your life. And if you can step back and say, okay, Lord, light that fire, burn out what needs to be burned out. Do a work in me. I want to be teachable. I want to be taught. I want to have self-examination here. Boy, glorious things will happen. God will mature you to a new place versus a trial over and over and over. There's some people, that's just their, that's their life pattern. God's like, we can't, even, we can't even get you out of first grade here because this trial, you're not learning from it. I'm trying to show you something. We can't move forward until you allow me to do the work that I'm wanting to do. He says about these trials, he says, you've been grieved by them. And again, trials are grieving, are they not? Look at this is truth here. We can rejoice, but at the same time we grieve. They weigh on the soul. The word there in the Greek for grieving, it means a heaviness, a distress. 
It means a sorrow. Have you ever been on those trials where you just can't eat? Your appetite's gone. You just can't rejoice. There's almost a, a mourning that comes upon you. Well, listen, that heaviness, that sorrow, God does not want that to move us to self-pity, anger against God, worldly thinking, but instead he would want that to move us to the cross, to Christ, to casting all our cares upon him, knowing he cares for us. As we read there in 1 Peter 5, 5, a humbling of our hearts as it talks about there, that we'd be exalted in due time. Now listen, with that said, there's a big problem if you never have any burdens. Again, we have burdens. We're to cast them upon the Lord. But at the same time, this world is in a trial. Do you know that? There should be things that grieve our hearts, the loss, the fact that, again, hell awaits those that don't call upon Christ. Those who we love when we see them living lives not to the glory of God. The state of our world should grieve us. The assault on marriage, the assault on gender, the assault on the unborn, the most innocent. These things should absolutely grieve us. These should weigh on our hearts, but that should move us to prayer and proclamation of the truth. Listen, again, there's great joy in the Lord, but hear this this morning. Life's not just about having fun. The Bible speaks of us in the last day. Men will be lovers of pleasure and not lovers of God. And so we got to look past our own comfort of these things. God's going to be trials to mold me and shape me and so forth. I can rejoice in them even while they grieve me. And at the same time, again, I should be concerned around the world around us. There should be a, a burden that I have. Even it says of Christ in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected and men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. And when you see a Jesus presented that's not a man of sorrows, that's just a fun-loving, game-playing, you know, messing around Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Did Jesus have the joy of the Lord? Absolutely, he did. But he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, because he knew the fate of those that would reject him. He knew the fate of those that continued in their sin. And he came knowing he'd take the wrath to all of us upon himself. And absolutely, he was concerned about souls. He was concerned about truth. That burdened him everywhere he went that brought a seriousness while also having the joy of the Lord. Again, various trials. We kind of already touched on this. Trials of correction, trials of perfection. There'll be spiritual ones, mental ones, physical ones, financial ones. I wrote in the notes, people, people, people. Have you noticed? People can be difficult, right? They can be an incredible blessing as well. But we need to know again, they're going to come in different shapes. They're going to come in different forms. Interesting though, the word trial here, it means, to, it means proof. Because trials reveal things in our lives as well. Notice verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, let's read verse 6. And this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, faith is so important. Not, not just faith. I talk about this often. You know, people, oh, they're part of the faith community. What's that even mean? Well, you know, they, they, they believe in Buddha, so they're part of the faith community. Everyone has faith. Atheists have faith. They're, they're banking their faith in this. There is no God, and I won't have to give an account for my life. I just believe I came from a monkey one day. None of that's scientific. We all have faith. All of you are exercising faith right now in the chair you're sitting in. That it's going to hold you up. That's going to, you know what, keep you upright and so forth. I think if any of you thought this chair is going to break while I'm sitting on it, probably wouldn't be sitting in it right now, especially in a room full of people, you know. <laughs> Look, he's talking about faith in the Lord. Genuine faith in the Lord is what saves our souls. It has to be genuine. 
And listen, genuine faith in the Lord, it's more precious than gold that perishes. And gold, the money, or that $10 million that I spoke of earlier, it is of great value here in this fallen world. I mean, you need money for the most part to survive, especially in the West, I mean, practically speaking. And gold can be used for great harm. It can be used, you know, as an idol. It can be used, again, as, as a false refuge. But gold can be used for great good. Listen, to get the gospel out, oftentimes there's money that's involved in it. Printing of tracts and media time and, you know, at a facility and so forth to equip believers for the work of the ministry. I don't think y'all fit in my living room. So those things, again, he says here, that gold, you know, it's more precious than gold. So gold is precious. Again, it's not to be worshipped, but your faith is so much more precious. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have salvation. We read a few weeks ago, 1 Peter 1, 5, or actually last week, he says you are kept by the power of God through faith. So it's faith in the Lord. It's a continual faith in the Lord. And if one has no faith, as the Lord says, what's a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. So how do I know faith is so important? How do I know I have a genuine faith? How do you know you have genuine gold? You can see it. You can touch it. How do you know you have a, you know, a genuine stack of money? It's not wishful thinking. You see it. How do I know I have a genuine faith? Trials reveal what kind of faith you have. Trials show that. Look at trials test where our faith is and whether our faith is real. There's a lot of folks, they say, oh, they get excited and they go through a trial. And again, well, that didn't work for me. Sometimes it's just even a trial of blessings that come. Well, I don't need you anymore, God. I'm out on my own. John talks about this. Looks at they were a part of us, but they went out from us because they were never of us. In time, their faith was shown not to be genuine. Jesus speaks of this in the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13. I just want to read through it, verse 19. And I'll point out just a couple things. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. And the Lord has given this parable. Verse 20 says, But he who received the seed on the stony place, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Notice here, Yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So in other words, a trial comes along, and all of a sudden that joy is gone because that faith wasn't genuine. It sounded good. But now it's time to, be, to put it to the test. Now it's time to put a fire to it. Now it's time to say, is your faith genuine or real? And a trial comes along. And again, they just drift from the Lord. Nope, this isn't for me. The trial reveals it. Versus it revealing someone that says, this trial's going on. I got to cleave to God more than I ever have before. Or even a trial of correction where someone's drifting. And so God says, I'm going to bring the trial. And they wake up in the midst of that tribulation and go, what am I doing? My father's house is so much better. And then verse 22, he says, Now he who receives seed from among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So again, sometimes we just look at trials as a persecution a trial is also a testing it can even just be you know what the things of life that we're here to manage and sometimes it's even an abundance of those things it's a testing are you going to still serve god i've seen many a person renounce their faith after coming into great wealth and their life completely changed or a position or an advancement or whatever and all of a sudden jesus christ is in the you know, rear view mirror. And now they're, well, you know, well, I got to act like the world. I'm a, you know, I'm a VIP now. I got to go to that party and do this and that. No, you don't. In fact, you need to go there and represent Jesus Christ to those people. That's what we are called to. And so these trials reveal these things. Verse 23, but he receives the seed on good ground. 
He who hears the word and understands it, he who bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And remember, the Lord compared the man who builds his house on the sand and the rock. Both of them get trials. Both of us, all of us get trials. So hear this this morning. Trials more than feelings reveal where you are in your walk with God as well as our spiritual maturity. We learn a lot through a trial. Paul talks about this in writing those in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, there must also be factions amongst you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. A, a, a fraction or a, a faction is a trial of, in a church where he's saying, look, at someone came in and disrupted everything, whether it's through a behavior or through false theology, but this, this trial shows us who's approved. It shows us who's mature. It shows us who's sound. And I'll tell you again, we've learned over the years, you know, to watch those things where you'll see, you know, well, is this guy called to this or that? Well, let's wait for a trial to come along and see how they respond. Let's see if they just, you know, kind of abandon their post as some do, or do they step up? Do they, you know what, forge through? How do they handle it when it's put on their plate versus on Pastor Steve's plate and so forth? I love when that happens, you know, so... And so he says in here, again, um, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, and indeed it is. Though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, our Lord is coming, and then our faith and our lives will be fully revealed of what they really were. Either to the praise, honor, and glory of God, or listen to our shame. Listen to 1 Corinthians 311 no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid which is jesus christ so the lord has to be the foundation and then it talks about building on that our lives now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold silver and precious stones wood hay and straw each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will uh, be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work which he has built on and endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. We'll have our final trial that we go through, or tribulation. Again, we'll be before the Lord. It was called the Bema Seat Judgment. We'll be right with God, but then he says, here's your last trial. We're going to put a match on your life and what you did with your time and what you did with your talents and what you did with your treasures and so forth. And listen, that things, those things that are wood, hand, stubble, they're going to burn. And those things done unto the Lord, they'll be part of a crown that we'll take to put at the feet of the Lord to worship. Don't take these things lightly. So many people take these things lightly. They even take trials and tribulations lightly. They look at them wrong. They look at it as a point of complaint, a point of bickering. They think it gives them right to, you know, it be a... To, to critique God's word and again to lean on their own truth because you don't know what I went through our savior went to the cross for our sins he bore the wrath to us for all the foul things we've ever done and boy in this room it would keep the whole room up and be bursting out for the mob in here this morning myself included That's not what those things are for. They're to shape us, to mold us, to know God's doing a good work in our lives so that, again, we will grow in the Lord. And when the Lord comes, those trials have shaped us. We've waged the long war. We've stayed the course. And we know, again, our life is not marked by vain living and aimless conduct, but it's been lived to the glory of God. And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that's not a big deal now. I'm just living my life now. It's going to be a big deal one day. It's going to be a really big deal. And then he closes this out, or this little section, whom having not seen, you love. Talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ, who you don't see, but you love. We love him because he first loved us. We can't see him, but we know what he's done, and we see what he is doing, and we're blessed in this. Look at, Jesus said to Thomas, he said there in John 20, 29, Thomas, because you see me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And again, to know him, to really know him is to love him. 
He says, though you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy. And again, this is, this is that leaping for joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Guys, again, he's not talking to a group of believers who just made great investments in real estate and their 401k is booming. And, you know, they have three properties now and they live in the nice one and the other two are rentals. And boy, everything's just sailing. And they teach Sunday school and everyone comes out and the room's packed and there's coffees and donuts and everyone. These are people that have been dispersed. They've seen loved ones crucified and burned on fire. And he says, though now you don't see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is why context is so huge. You're jumping for joy because you know Jesus even in the midst of your life being wrecked in the eyes of the world, yet God was working these things. Forget, because as we already talked about, this made an impact on the world in Rome. The fact these people were willing to die for their faith. And God didn't just disperse them out to, you know what, go out here and die. God moved them to strengthen the body of Christ where they went and to be a witness to where they went. And he did supply their needs according to his riches in glory. We need to remember no matter what the trial is, I don't got time to read it, but it's there in Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is what he's, you know what, this is what he's telling them. Look at the Lord's with you. The Lord's going through you, with you. You have a living hope. God's working these things for good. And Jesus is coming soon. And it'll be time for your faith to absolutely be seen to the glory of God, to the honor of God, that you've lived a life for the Lord at every turn, that you didn't waffle when, you know what, the, the, the tribulation came, but you stood strong, you stood humble, and God saw you through. Again, verse 9, he brings them to that, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, at the end of this short life, by grace through faith, our souls will be saved. An eternity in glory, an eternity in heaven. Heaven or hell waits everybody. Listen, there's no middle ground. So, oh, you know, there's a purgatory and they'll atone for their own sins under fire. That's blasphemy of God. That's saying Jesus Christ shed blood does not have the ability to wash someone of their sins. It's a false gospel. I cannot atone for my sins. Jesus atoned for my sins at the cross of Calvary. Our life is short. We need to rejoice knowing I have a living hope in Christ Jesus heaven does away and again this pushes against the thinking of today that is so short-sighted that is so hedonistic that is so sensual that life is just measured by how much pleasure you're having in each moment that's a recipe to destruction versus wanting to mature wanting to soldier through wanting to wage the long war like joshua did we talked if you weren't here on wednesday night i encourage you to go listen to that teaching Waging the long war. I'm in this for the long haul. Come what may, I'm going to live for the Lord. Listen, that's where joy is found in this life. And that is where, again, eternal reward is found in the next life. And praise God, we have the assurance of that, not through wishful thinking, but through the word of the living God. Let's stand up and close in prayer. you guys come up we're going to pray and then close with another song heavenly father we bless and praise you god we just thank you that you're so good jesus we thank you for what you went through for us at the cross of calvary there's nothing you ever call us to lord that you didn't first do yourself it's amazing but I hope and pray this morning, God, that, Lord, our minds are being renewed and we're also being reminded of the fact, God, that you direct our steps. The trials and tribulations and persecutions, they are part of the believer's life. We're appointed to those. But again, Lord, I pray we could rejoice in them. Lord, we would have a biblical perspective in them. 
that our light would shine brightly in them. Lord, I have no doubt there's people going through deep trials today. All the more meet them where they're at, God. Lord, let these truths build their faith and let these truths build our faith. You said faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We've heard the word, God. Deepen our faith and our trust in you, God. If you're here and you don't know the Lord this morning, we've talked about sin. We've talked about hell. The Bible talks about sin and hell. That's the truth of the scriptures. We've all sinned and we're under the wrath of God. God's not bringing rebellion into heaven. God's a consuming fire. And listen, if you're not covered by the blood, there's a consumption that's coming, the wrath of God upon those who reject Jesus Christ. There's good news though. There's good news. There's the best news. Jesus lived a sinless life and he died in your place and my place. Again, he took the wrath, the punishment due us. He defeated death when he resurrected and any who call on him to ask him to be the Lord of their life, he will save. He'll set free. He'll wash us of our sin and he'll meet us where we're at. He'll begin a good work in our lives and be faithful to complete it. I hope we've all called upon the Lord this morning. But if you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Do not put off the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to call on him even now. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. We want to lift our voices to you, God. Lord, we want to heartily praise you. Lord, as we close this time gathered in the room, and we pray you bless our fellowship, God, that's to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's lift our voices to the Lord.
That's good news, huh? We made the mess and Jesus cleaned it up. Thank you, Lord. He even get, he gets all the stains out. Unlike some of the coffee stains in the carpet here. He gets them all out. God bless you guys. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus. Encourage others, build up others in the Lord. God bless you.